Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Counseling and Psychological Services at Riverside. I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi. And third-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, everybody. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on this episode, given the events in Russia and Ukraine, we're going to talk about psychiatry in Ukraine. And to do that, we have with us Dr. Linda Schmidt. She's a child and adolescent psychiatrist and assistant professor at OHSU School of Medicine. She completed her residency at Harvard's Longwood program and her fellowship at OHSU. Since 2016, Dr. Schmidt has led teams of mental health professionals to Ukraine to conduct training seminars for health professionals across the country. In her spare time, she enjoys running and gardening. Dr. Schmidt, thank you for joining us on Let's Get Psyched. Thank you for having me. We always like to conclude something personal. And what are you growing in your garden right now? Just curious. <laughs> um, I am just growing flowers. I've got some tulips coming up and uh, some perennials that are starting to poke their heads through the soil. So I don't really do vegetables um, because I had to weed a huge vegetable garden growing up. So I don't do that. I like <laughs> yeah. flowers. That's a traumatic <laughs> experience. That's <sounds> Yes. <laughs> That exactly. makes you a good American because uh, it seems our country doesn't like to do vegetables either as, a, as almost a national policy. Although I've been thinking about it more. Okay. So uh, why don't we set the context here? Why don't you tell us how did you get involved with uh, psychiatry in Ukraine, psychiatric services? Uh, and what was the cause and, what, and how did it develop from there? Okay. Great and why question. Ukraine? And I will try to be brief. That's a really great question. So, <laughs> Uh, my father was an ethnic German born in Ukraine and raised until about the age of 13. And then he was able to get out of Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union at the time uh, during World War II. So growing up, I always identified as German. We were German. We ate German. We spoke German. But then uh, in 2007, my husband and I, my aunt and my dad, who was about 72 or 75 at the time, uh, we did a, a roots tour back to Ukraine. It was the first time that he had been back since he was 13. And we uh, went to his village and the village of his mother. And we toured parts of the country. We went to the Soviet archives where I was able to find uh, family records and so forth. Um, and then, so at, at the end of that trip, I remember turning to my husband and saying, okay, I'm glad I came. I have no desire to return. It, it was an okay trip, but it, it was 2007. Um, and Ukraine wasn't the most tourist friendly place to go. Fast forward to 2015, and I was asked by the uh, co-founder of a nonprofit that did a lot of work in Ukraine that, that's based near Portland. And uh, they had done the Roots tour eight years prior. And they asked me if I'd be willing to go over and do presentations on mental health. And I said, sure, I'm not really sure what I have to offer, but okay. 
So I was able to recruit a pediatrician and uh, a, a child psychiatry fellow, and we did a few different trainings in, in a variety of cities. Uh, and from there, it's sort of, um, it's just sort of um, grown from there. Can so I ask what, sorry, what sort of topics were you training them on? Just general child and adolescent psychiatry topics? Or? Great, great question. And that was the real challenge um, because the first two cities that we spoke in, there really wasn't a whole lot of guidance. They just wanted us to talk about mental health to increase awareness. And so what we did in the first, uh, in the first city, we spoke at a, at a large children's hospital in Kyiv. So it's Kyiv, that's the Ukrainian pronunciation of the capital city. It's not Kiev. Kiev is Russian. So don't say, don't pronounce it that way when you're around Ukrainian. No. Just a little side note. So at that first conference, uh, I talked about global mental health. And my pediatric colleague uh, talked about uh, trauma-informed care. And then the child psychiatry fellow did a little bit of, of both. She, she did a little bit of an introduction also to collaborative problem solving. And then in the second city, which was a, a much more, uh, more industrial type city, much less cosmopolitan than Kiev, we geared our talks again, trauma-informed care, mental health in general to a group of largely composed of educators, but also school psychologists and other mental health professionals. So, so I'd love to take you back. It sounds like that might be kind of the preview and then we're gonna come back to this point, but can you carry us a little bit from the dissolution of uh, the Soviet Union or the uh, independence of Ukraine and kind of how psychiatry had looked and then where it was when you showed up on the scene and then maybe the trajectory of how you've been able to help and how you've seen just things changing. Sure, sure. And of course, we are going to, I, you know, I think it might as well acknowledge now that there are um, major tragedies and atrocities going on in Ukraine that we're deeply concerned about and that may affect global stability or are affecting global stability as well. And um, that I don't know if this episode will fully go into that, um, but we're also going to be uh, publishing another episode more directly addressing that. Okay. So you want just to give a brief history, uh, and I am not a Ukrainian historian, but Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union from, I believe, 1920 to 1991. Uh, and at that point, they became an independent country. And, and healthcare in Ukraine is, is centralized. It's free for any Ukrainian city, citizen, but it's largely a holdover from the Soviet era model. Um, and that's particularly true for the mental health system. So that particular model was largely focused on institutionalization and, and much less focused on outpatient services. And, you know, in the Soviet era and, and also still when Ukraine became an independent country, um, psychiatry was used as a tool of repression, again, during the Soviet area, but, and then people who opposed the regime were regarded as mentally ill, and they were subjected to long oh. imprisonment in the country's psychiatric hospitals. Now, that's not necessarily the case 
in Ukraine, but there are concerns about human rights abuses in, in their inpatient facilities, and the government has taken steps to address that. So fast, I guess just to provide a little bit of context, uh, 2.5% of um, the, the Ukraine's health funding goes to mental health services. And that equates to about $5 per capita. So that's $5 for each citizen, not, not, not very much. And the majority of those funds are directed towards institutions or inpatient hospital, hospital facilities. So much less focus on, on outpatient care. Linda, how does that compare to the US and how does that look in terms of like a mental health parity lens? Great question. So um, I think the, the best way that I can, uh, I don't know what, because we don't have a nationalized health system in, in the U.S., I, I don't know what percentage of our spending goes towards mental health. But to give you a comparison to um, the European Union, so um, fifth, let's see, uh, the numbers that I have are like 15.5% um, goes towards mental health spending in the in the EU compared to two and a half percent. So significantly more, right? That's what, well, I won't do the math, but what, six, seven times more. And then I, I think just to give you an idea, in, in Ukraine, there are about 65 psychiatric beds per 100,000 people versus 39 beds per 100K in the US. So almost double the number of psychiatric beds in Ukraine, even though they have much less funding. So it, 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 I think it demonstrates where, uh, where their spending is. And then in 2017, the legislature or the government passed a you know, decree for lack of a better term that they really wanted to change how um, mental health was delivered and they really wanted to change their mental health policy. And so they passed this concept of mental health development, development in Ukraine for the period of 18 to 2030. And this concept outlines plans for improving the mental health care system and, and coming more into alignment with international standards and guidelines. And so there's been a greater um, emphasis placed on moving from a focus on institutionalization to outpatient mental health services, more day treatment programs, um, more social supports. What were some of the biggest um roadblocks to doing that transition? Was it a kind of a, a, a mindset kind of thing? Is it institutional type of thing? Yeah, my, my experience and, and from what my Ukrainian colleagues, those with whom I've worked over there, what they have told me is there is, you know, change happens really slowly. And it happens, I think, even more slowly in a former Soviet bloc country. And, and again, from what I've been told, there certainly by the older psychiatric establishment, there is this resistant to ch resistance to change. Well, we've always done it this way. And why should we change? And you know, what's wrong with how we're doing it? So it, it's a, a, an older, archaic view of, of, of change and how things can be improved. Is there greater stigma? Do you, can you tell that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Stigma is a huge barrier there. And part of it um, is, again, it, it, you know, there, you know, in the Soviet era, 
you would you if you again disagreed or voiced dissent with the regime, you would be institutionalized. And then once you had that on your record, you wouldn't be able to find a job. And oftentimes you were oh, wow. shunned by family members. And so it was a real um, scarlet letter. And so there is a lot of um, a lot of stigma. There's a lot of shame as well. It's a it's a very it's a highly religious family. I, I religious country about eighty percent I mm-hmm. think identify with some form of religion, and so there is this view by many that if I have a mental illness or my child has a mental illness, it's because I've sinned or done something wrong. How is that? compared to Russia and maybe other ex-Soviet bloc countries in terms of the odds between um, the the communist feelings of religion being the opiate of the masses and there being a, a decidedly anti-religion, maybe even oppressive to, or definitely oppressive to religious freedoms. And, and yeah, how, how have you kind of seen that transition? You know, that, that's hard for me to comment on. I, I think Ukraine has always been highly religious. I, I think folks were were practicing their religion, but not openly when they were part of the Soviet Union. Um, but I don't I don't I can't um, comment more than that. Sure, sure. This could be a question that probably should come from Tosha or Alan, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in like when you arrived at the scene, were you uh, shocked at the uh, array of medications that were available to them or that they were prescribing? And was that part of uh, your, your assistance to just kind of get them used to different, a different array of medications? Or uh, Actually, no. Um, they have access to, for the most part, most if not the majority of medications that we have access to. So atypical antipsychotics, SSRIs, Um, What they don't have access to, interestingly, is um, stimulants. So um, when they were part of the Soviet Union, uh, stimulants, uh, and I don't remember which president it was, you know, had a a real, uh, uh, was anti-stimulants. And so stimulants were banned. Now, they're no longer banned in, in Ukraine. You just can't get them there. So if you live near the western part of the country, a psychiatrist can write you a prescription. You can go to Poland, pick up your stimulant for your ADHD, and then come back. Um, but otherwise, uh, medications are widely available. What's less widely available is psychosocial interventions, evidence-based psychotherapy. That's where they really need a lot of, of support and training. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking to Dr. Linda Schmidt, child and adolescent psychiatrist and assistant professor at OHSU, and she is going to talk about, um, and we've been talking about her experience in Ukraine with psychiatric services. So I, you know, you mentioned that it, that if, if anything, it was the psychosocial interventions part of it that was kind of behind I, I, you know, as a psychologist, what was mostly provided, uh, if any, psych- psychosocial or psychotherapeutic techniques, and uh, uh, how did you how did you deal with that? How did you handle that? Was there a structure set up? That kind of thing. 
Yes, another great question. So, so again, I think this is a holdover from the Soviet system where psychiatry was largely biologically focused. Um, so we're going to write a medication to you and for, for whatever your mental illness is. And so there, and so what, I think what I first noticed is that when we were talking about cases, particularly in child psychiatry, it's important to look at the family, at psychosocial stressors. Um, you know, again, that, that formulation that we as psychiatrists have come to know and love and, and think really, think a lot about, that wasn't occurring, or at least in my experience. Uh, and so really working with psychiatrists and psychologists to think about what are what what else is going on? You know, what else might be contributing to this youth suicidal ideation or or their depression or their anxiety? One of the one of the uh, programs that I worked with uh, was a newly started cognitive behavioral therapy center. And so we did some trainings in CBT for OCD, CBT for anxiety, things like that. How did the um, physicians that were in Ukraine, how did they take your lessons? Were they open to them? Yes. So it was really divided. Um, and it, it all depended, I think, in part on what part of the country we were in and what city we were in. Uh, so where we did the training in CBT, this was a CBT training program, probably, I believe one of the first of its kind in Ukraine. I think there's wow. two that I know of, one in Kiev, one in Lviv. We were in Lviv. And so the participants were wanting to be there and they were wanting to get trained in CBT. So they were very, very open. The audience in some of our other sites seemed much less open, but it really varied. Uh, you know, there were some members of the audience who seemed really interested and genuinely open to what we had to say, and others who would sit back with the frown on their face, arms, you know, closed, uh, and uh, so less, less receptive. And could you describe kind of the demographics of the physicians, the psychiatrists? Sure. So in, we, Interestingly, a lot of neurologists provide psychiatric care in um, in Ukraine. Not not a lot, but they do provide some psychiatric care, particularly for younger children. And so, our audience members included both psychiatrists, both adult and child psychiatrists, neurologists, as well as psychologists. As we as our program moved along in years, we would also invite uh, primary care physicians, uh, pediatricians uh, who, who would attend some of the programs. And then we also ran programs for schools. And so we might, teachers might be present or school psychologists might also be present. Hmm. What about so like- Varied. What about like gender demographics of the, of the psychiatrists? Yeah, uh, the, the ones who attended our trainings, again, it varied from city to city, but I would say the majority were women. Um, and part of that, um, you know, I would say the CBT was probably equal between men and women, but in the other two cities that we worked in, it was, I would say the majority, probably 75% women uh, versus mm. men. And, and mm. I think part of, part of that is because in order to attend our seminars, we tried to have as many of them as we could on the weekends, but that wasn't always possible. Um, physicians don't get time off for CME, so they would have to take a vacation day or two uh, in order to participate or attend our seminars. So there, mm. there wasn't any sort of incentive for them to, to come. 
You may, I want to talk, go back to something you said earlier. You mentioned that there was a tendency maybe to do too much institutionalization or inpatient care. Were you involved with any uh, deinstitutionalization efforts uh, or how to manage mental health conditions uh, more, uh, more effectively outpatient? Other than, no, I, I say the short answer is no. Other than training, doing the trainings on evidence-based uh, psychotherapy modalities, which was largely focused on CBT. We touched a little bit on acceptance and commitment therapy, a little bit on er interpersonal psychotherapy and family therapy. Um, but was I directly involved in the deinstitutionalization? No. And, and the, the folks that were in, in these institutions, was uh, did you get any sense of what some of the diagnoses were or yeah, you know, we are the conditions. Uh, yeah, so I will never forget. So our first visit, we visited an inpatient psychiatric unit. Well, actually, there were two, one in Kiev and one in Shatomer. Uh, and the, the conditions are, I, I think, what you might expect of, of a Soviet hospital system from the 50s. I mean, that those were the conditions, very run down, um, very dilapidated. Um, and, and the children that, that I recall, again, this is going back a few years, they were there largely for behavioral issues. So acting out aggression. Um, yeah, most oppositional defiant sorts of behavior. Um, now, I did not visit any psychiatric units that, that were comprised of mostly adolescents. So I, I can't comment on that. Although I will say, in one of my more recent trips, I believe it was in 2018, we were asked to do some consultation where we would actually see patients with the treating psychiatrist. Um, and I recall seeing a 15-year-old youth whom, had he been in the U.S., I would have walked him down to the emergency department and had him hospitalized. Um, he was suicidal, had a plan, had access profoundly depressed. And when I talked to my psychiatry colleagues about my recommendations, I think this youth needs to be hospitalized. They said to me, oh no, he's not appropriate for hospitalization. Um, the kids there on the hospital unit are delinquents. This is not a youth who's a delinquent. Um, and so we had to come up with a safety plan that, so to allow him to go home, but it was it was that was really really um, difficult for me because I was so concerned about this youth. Where where have you seen the most growth? Because you 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 visited and and you you when it was kind of in the uh, they were they were in a, they were in a, they needed help and assistance. And uh, so what where did you see the most growth? Uh, when you know given your last visit. That, that's a challenging question to answer, but 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 I, I think the the two the the two two of the three sites, so Lviv and Ivano Frankivsk, and and these are large cities um, on the western part of Ukraine. Um, and I would say that the, you know Western Ukraine is much more. And I think it's, it's, it's far more European or Western European than perhaps Eastern parts of the country. And I would, again, you know, just in terms of the, the level of interest and the attendance and the, the desire for knowledge, I, I think I, I would have to say those two cities, um, again, Lviv and Ivano-Frankivsk. And I think 
part of that, at least part of it, if not a lot of it, has to do with the lead psychiatrist and the lead psychologist in these two cities who have really done a lot of outreach work and a lot of work in, in trying to establish training programs. So Dr. Schmidt, you were there for how many years going back and so, traveling? In a um, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Wow. Okay. And, then, and then when um, the pandemic hit, we switched to monthly webinars. So um, it, we, I wanted to go back, but we couldn't. Uh, and so we switched to monthly webinars, which were continuing up until March. Yeah, we had, cancel, we had to cancel our March, our March event. Although uh, my colleagues have reached out, and we are we've got another webinar scheduled for the end of April, and another webinar that we'll hopefully schedule two weeks after that. But, but and, the focus is much different. Well, let me ask you: um, over that time period, that's many years. Um, what did you see change? What What did you um, yeah, what did you notice? You know, it, it that's again, that's a hard question to answer because we're there for two weeks and, and we're doing these trainings in, in three different cities in three day increments. Um, again, I think I think the, the 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 one major change that we observed is the attendance. So attendance each year increased um, as word of mouth spread, and then we began doing uh, you know as opposed to one seminar for. Uh, where all three of us would present, we were running day-long concurrent seminars. So the subsequent years, wow. I went back with the developmental pediatrician and a psychologist, and then the third year, a speech and language pathologist came with us, and we were running. Um, we never saw one another uh, except for the beginning of the day and the end of the day because we were all in our different locations running different seminars. So I think that was the biggest change. Um, yeah, high demand. That our, our little program expanded to include different specialties targeted to different audiences. And, and we also, I, I don't want to fail to mention, um, after the first year, I reached out to um, on Facebook to a Ukrainian group in Oregon and uh, have since connected with a, a Ukrainian uh mother who resides here in Portland, and she's gone over with us since 2017 and has been a, an incredible asset. And she runs her own training programs for parents uh, in Ukraine. So oh, that's cool. It's, it's been really amazing. That's great. Now, do you have any current connections still there? Have you received any information? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I continue to maintain regular contact with my colleagues in these three different cities. Um, one colleague has left um, and is a refugee in Poland, although her husband remains in Chitomer, and I get regular emails from him about how he's doing. Uh, my Ukrainian child psychiatrist colleague in Lviv uh, and his um, colleague who's a psychologist, I actually am in regular meetings with them. They're doing fine, but, you know, they're talking, you know, they have to go to their basement or go to shelters during, you know, air raids and sirens and things like that. And then my colleagues in Ivana Frankivsk is a group of three psychologists, one of whom has joined the military. So, um, but the other two we see on a regular basis, because again, we're trying to resume these webinars. So we've been doing planning sessions. Now, if we wanted to help folks in that area or, uh, you know, you, you have the special connection. So what is the most effective way? What, what kinds of things can we do? Where can we give that kind of thing? 
Yeah. Okay. That's thank you for asking that. I'm happy to share. So my colleague, um, Oleg Romanchuk, he is a, a Ukrainian child psychiatrist. He is affiliated with the Ukrainian Catholic University in Ukraine. And, and they at, at UCU, they've started an institute of mental health. And he's really the driver behind introducing cognitive behavioral therapy to Ukrainians. And he's really the, the force behind introducing evidence-based psychi- psychiatric practices. So he has established a charitable foundation called Family Circle, uh, and then and I can provide you with a website uh, where you can find out more information about how to donate to that nonprofit. And all of that work goes, all of that money goes to support their efforts in in working with traumatized youth and families. And listeners will post that website. Thank you, Dr. Uh, can I um, um, ask you? Is like. Um, you know, wh- what is your thoughts about the the kind of trauma care that is provided right now? Can't, how, how have you heard from your colleagues of what they're doing? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I have, in fact. Um, so when I spoke with my colleague in Lviv this week, they are utilizing a curriculum, which I was not familiar with, called... Um, War and Children, or Children and War. I'm sorry, I should know this because um, I reached out to the developers of it uh, and they, they, they're running training programs. So they're utilizing that curriculum. They're, they're actually doing it in, this, in shelters, in the subway area where, where families are staying. Um, and then my, the colleagues in Ivano-Frankivsk, uh, the what we're going to try to introduce to them is psychological first aid. Uh, and, and that's what the webinar in two weeks will be about. Um, so again, they're trying to implement evidence-based interventions um, that that previously, that they may have had some familiarity with, but certainly not to this degree. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today, we talk with Dr. Linda Schmidt, child and adolescent psychiatrist and assistant professor at OHSU about the situation in Ukraine. She's had a long history of going there for information, charity work, education, um, uh, assistance with evidence-based practice practices. Dr. Schmidt, thank you for joining us on this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Thank you. My pleasure. And also thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Tosha Yamaguchi and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at GetPsyched on KUCR at gmail.com. You can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform, as well as enjoy an extended version of the show. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. Our production assistant is Benjamin Metrican. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. All right, so I have a question that I thought might take a little bit of a longer response. Um, so I didn't want to ask it at the end of the the very end. Um, but Linda, could you talk a little bit about um, if you what you thought about how diagnostic criteria from the DSM translated over in Ukraine um, therapies? How did they translate over there? Yeah, that's a really, that's a great question. Um, So they use the IC, you know, they they use the DSM-5 and they use the ICD-11 it is now. And and when I do webinars, um, I look at both and and the diagnostic criteria are really similar. So so when we talk about OCD and I review the diagnostic criteria based on the DSM-5, 
Um, they, for the most part, they seem very familiar with it. Did you feel like the criteria, though, were pretty similar, like someone with um, like oh, the, I don't know, PTSD criteria made sense in Ukraine? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, for the most part, and I'm trying to get to to um, to think back. Yes, I, I feel that, you know, for the most part, the depression, anxiety, um, OCD, uh, for the most part, certainly was consistent with what how we would diagnose. Um, you know, when I was doing a little bit of review and in, in prep, I, I think historically they've they meaning Soviet era psychiatry, some holdover maybe into post-Soviet era. Uh, there was a lot of diagnosing of schizophrenia more so, so that those, those criteria were perhaps used more loosely. I don't know that that's still the case though. And what about therapies like CBT, for instance? Yeah. Did, did the Ukrainian patients really respond the same, like the way we would expect over in the U.S., over here? You know, my understanding uh, for the, and I, I didn't have, a, I have not had a lot of contact with Ukrainian patients. So what I'm hearing is, is from, is directly from therapists. For the most part, um, yes, I, I think their response has been very similar. And the case presentations that folks present um, during our webinars or during our supervision time when we've had them, the, the response and the, the struggles that they've encountered have been very similar. Uh, what do you feel is a appropriate response for uh, addressing the, uh, the the trauma that is is going to be post war? I know the war's not over, but do you feel like it should be an international thing? Should be all countries kind of coordinating or, or just uh, doing what they can, or do you think there should be some sort of UN effort? Or how, what do what do you think? How would how do we, does, the, does the world respond to the mental health crisis that is probably going to be there after the war. Well, I think it's, it's already there. Uh, I'm yeah. already getting emails from my colleagues there wanting trainings, right, for psychological first aid. And we're not sure. Um, so last Monday, uh, and I sort of alluded to this, Alan, in my email to you or text that, you know, last Monday I received an email from my psychology colleague in Ivano Frankisk, who's a professor, also has a private practice, CBT practice, but her students have now gone to a variety of European countries and they're reaching out to her because they're volunteering to counsel youth or adults. And she's getting questions from them. You know, we're not sure how to deal with a 10 year old that's been raped by Soviet, by Russian soldiers. Now that was a real question. And so then that led us to, to set up another meeting with them. And that has now mm. led to this webinar that we're gonna, we're gonna have in two weeks um, to, wow. to train them. So it, it's gonna be a massive, massive, um, it already is a massive mental health crisis, which will continue to grow. I think it needs to be an international response. Um, I don't think one country in particular can do everything to support Ukraine. I think we all have to do our part. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and that's the end of the extended version. Thank you for bearing with us, uh, Linda. Yeah, thanks, Linda. <laughs>